as our little ones head out the door to Children's Church. I'll remind you, and I know I'm probably doing this in a redundant fashion, but we do have Children's Church from nursery all the way up to second grade. And uh, those that are, are going into third just have a few weeks left, I think, before they'll be moving on. But a blessing to have them. For the rest of us, I would ask that you turn with me in your Bibles to Deuteronomy chapter 30. We are going to be wrapping up our time in the book of Deuteronomy today. Uh, For the month of July, we are going to have several guest speakers here. um, A whole calendar full of of great people that you will definitely want to to come and and hear a word from. From Sean Caudell, our uh, association mission strategist, to... Kenny Rager with the KBC, and even uh, uh, our, our, old, our own son, uh, Sean Caudell. What did I say? Well, Caudell's coming too. Yeah, yeah, don't, you be stirring the Kool-Aid, don't even know the flavor. Let me do my job. <laughs> we have Sean Edwards and Sean Caudell, not spe- spelled the same way, not the same guys. Man, golly, Joe. I'll correct you when you're singing songs. Not that, not that I'd know how to. But for today, we will wrap up our study in the book of Deuteronomy by looking at Deuteronomy chapter 30, starting in verse 1 and going through to verse 10. If you are able, please stand for the reading of God's word. And the word of God says this. It says, so it shall be. When all of these things have come upon you, the blessing and the curse which I have set before you, and you will call them to mind in all the nations where the Lord your God has banished you. And you return to the Lord your God and obey him with all your heart and soul, according to all that I have commanded you today, you and your sons. Then the Lord your God will restore you from captivity and have compassion on you. And I will gather you again from all the people where the Lord your God has scattered you. If your outcasts are at the ends of the earth, from there the Lord your God will gather you. And from there he will bring you back. The Lord your God will bring you into a land which your fathers possessed, and you shall possess it. And he will prosper you and multiply you more than your fathers. Moreover, the Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your descendants to love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, so you may live. The Lord your God will inflict all those curses on your enemies and on those who hate you, who persecuted you. And you shall again obey the Lord, observe all his commandments, which I've commanded you today. Then the Lord your God will prosper you abundantly in all the work of your hand, in the offspring of your body and in the offspring of your cattle, And in the produce of the ground, for the Lord will again rejoice over you for good, just as he rejoiced over your fathers. If you obey the Lord your God to keep his commandments and his statutes, which are written in the book of the law, if you turn to the Lord your God with all your heart and your soul. Please be seated. I am forever fascinated by videos and television shows where they are restoring something old and making it useful again. (coughs) And it doesn't matter if it is an old beat-up car, 
or a home or anything else, I love watching the transformation from something that to me looks like garbage and how it is suddenly restored over the course of a, maybe it's a 30 second video or a 30 minute television show restored to something amazing. Just recently, I was watching a video where a guy restores like pocket watch or not pocket watches, pocket knives. And he took this little pocket knife and, and he showed it and it was about this big. You know, think your classic pocket knife that, that, that any one of us or a farmer would keep in his pocket. And, and this thing, to me, this thing was garbage. It was rusted all over. It had a wooden handle, but the wooden handle was, was flaking apart and, and, and just looked, looked water damaged and all that stuff. He, he tried to open the pocket knife, and as he opened it, like rust dust fell out onto the, the, the table. And he had to really work to get it open, and, and obviously the blade was, was corroded and, and disgusting, and, and it didn't want to open. It didn't, the, the things that were supposed to snap it shut or keep it open, all of them had, had grown disgusting and, and, and jammed and, and just terrible. And then this man began to take his tools out, and all you could see was his hands. And he takes the tools out and he takes off one piece and, and he takes off a little plate and exposes a, a little screw and he, he starts to work on that and he sprays it probably with some WD-40 or something way, way cooler that he has, his pocket knife stuff. And he begins to take out the screws and take out the pieces and, and suddenly the, the handle is separated into two and, and, and then the blade has been released and then all the mechanisms and then finally he, he takes the whole thing and he lays out every piece of the pocket knife onto the table. And he begins to work on the metal and he starts to spray some chemicals on it and scrub and, and do the things he needs to do to, to get the rust off of, of the blade. And then he kind of, and then, and then sometimes in some of the videos, he'll even pull out some sort of laser. Well, that's cool. I need a laser. And he begins to scan it off and it burns away all the rust until suddenly it is this shiny piece of metal again. And then he begins to condition the blade and, 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 and polish it. And then he sharpens it and then polishes it again and, and does lots of neat things to make it look new. And then he, then he directs his attention over to the mechanisms in the other part of the pocket knife. And, and some of them he cleans and some of them he fixes and repairs. And, and some of it he just creates whole new things. He takes that wooden handle that's, that's brittle and, and, and flaky and, and, and ruined by water damage and he takes a new piece of wood. And he takes the old piece and he measures it out and he cuts out a new piece that, that will fit exactly the way it should and sands it and polishes it and, and, and stains it. And, and then he begins the process of putting it all together. And we see piece by piece how he begins to put all of the pieces of the pocket knife together. Until suddenly he has what looks like a brand new pocket knife. One that he could sell for, for who knows what or keep for himself, but it looks as though it's coming straight out of the box and, 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 and brand spanking new, when in reality, just 25 seconds video-wise and maybe 24 hours in real life, this was something that most of us in the room would have just thrown in the garbage. What started as junk and destined for the trash can had now been restored and ready to be used once again 
and in many ways was a beautiful work of art. Our passage today also speaks of restoration. But a little bit different than a car or a pocket knife or a tool. And yet, when we think about how God is calling Israel and how God is telling Israel that he will restore them, and then by extension, how he restores us, we can look to that pocket knife and see the, the, the similarities between these two things. That there is a process that God is doing something and that he can take something that is damaged, even appearing to be ruined, and he can make it beautiful useful and amazing as we look at our passage today let us see how god promises to restore people and i pray that this will give you hope in the days where you feel broken ruined and useless and that it will serve as a reminder that god is able that he is willing and that he is ready to bring restoration in your life no matter how far you've wandered away. Let's think about Israel for just a moment and let's think about the wandering that, that's happening here. And I'm, I'm always really struck because this is Deuteronomy. Like, let's put it, like sometimes we, we you know, we're, we're looking at different Bible passages throughout the day and we kind of forget where we are in the Bible. Uh, we just got done Sunday, you know, for the morning time in, in being in Jeremiah. And it's really interesting because in Jeremiah, we are at the, like the end of, of uh, Israel, basically. Not permanently, not forever, but this is where both Israel and then the northern kingdom of Israel and the southern kingdom of Judah, like all of those are ceasing to exist in Jeremiah. God is, is completely taking care of them. But in Deuteronomy, they haven't even come in the promised land yet. Like, this is them getting ready to go into the promised land. Imagine for a moment if you're starting a new job. Some of you that maybe have, have started new jobs recently. This is like orientation. This is them like walking, like they're about to go in, it's about to happen, and they're going in and they're being like taught all the ropes to, to in, be able to go in. About 23 years ago, I was a young man who had got on his very first airplane and traveled from Missouri to Orlando, Florida to work for Walt Disney World. Say a prayer for my parents. I put them through it. I just came home one day and said, I got a job at Disney. I'm leaving for the summer. And I walked in and the first time I ever set foot on Disney property, any Disney property whatsoever, I had to clock in. I'd never been to Disney World. I'd never done any of that stuff, but I got a job there. And before I ever got to actually be in the Magic Kingdom or Epcot or the Animal Kingdom or, or G Disney MGM Studios, I had to go to Disney University. That is a thing. And I had to go through orientation. And they had to tell me all the things that I needed to know before I could ever even put on a name tag. And in a lot of ways, that's what Deuteronomy is. It is God reminding them 
of everything that he'd given them in the Ten Commandments so that when they went into the land, they'd know what was going on. And I say all of that to say this. If you look at the language that God uses at the beginning of Deuteronomy chapter 30, he is talking about exile and he is talking about the curses and he is talking about judgment not as a if this happens but when this happens see god already knew the heart of israel and before they ever set foot in the promised land he already knew that there would come a day that they would so thoroughly ignore him and abandon him that he would have to remove them from the land and scatter them all over the world but because he loved him, he did it anyways. And that's crazy. But in a good way. And so when we look at this passage, we're reminded that, that he knew about the rejection. He knew that they would be unfaithful. And he was already telling them, but something is going to happen from that. I have, all, I have always wondered if the people who heard this statement in verse 1 thought to themselves, we will never do that. I don't even know why he's telling us this. I mean, could you imagine for a moment if you were at an orientation and they said, okay, so like when you cut off your finger, this is the process. And you'd be like, when I cut off my finger? I'm never going to cut off my finger. That's crazy talk. I would never do that. And then you cut off your finger, which hopefully that doesn't happen. Or you break your foot. But it reminds me of someone else that actually kind of acted the same way. In fact, if we go to the New Testament, we hear these words from Peter in Matthew 26, 33. And he says, even though, Peter says that even though all may fall away from because of you, talking to Jesus, I will never fall away. But then we just go a few verses down the same chapter of Matthew 26. And in Matthew 26, 75, it says that Peter, after denying Jesus three times, Remembered the word which Jesus had said, before a rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And he went out and he wept bitterly. We need to have a certain level of humility when it comes to our walk with the Lord. And none of us are, are immune from having this, this humility. It's not a question of if we sin against God. It's really a matter of when we sin against God. And that's true from the highest to the lowest person, whatever that even means. I can tell you beyond a shadow of a doubt that your pastor sins. I am more than confident that our music minister sins. I would put money that our deacons sin. See, we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And it's not a one-time thing. It's a struggle and a battle that we face every day. And we find ourselves constantly at war between wanting to pursue the Lord and dealing with life and our sinful, fallen nature. So then the question comes up, what, what should our response to sin be? 
if Romans 3.23 is, is true for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, then, then what should our response to sin be? And I want to, to, to advise you today to resist the temptation to fall into one of two extremes when it comes to sin. First, we need to resist the idea that since all sin, sin is no big deal. We have to be careful with that mindset. We, want, we might kind of get this, this thought process that says, well, yeah, I know I'm a sinner, but Jesus paid it all, and so I have nothing, so I'm just going to just keep living life. In fact, that's exactly what happens in Romans chapter 6 when they say, well, shall I go on sinning so that grace may increase? And Paul's response to that is, may it never be. That's not how we're supposed to live. In fact, in, in, in a huge cr- contrast to that, what Paul says about himself in Romans seven twenty four is this, O wretched man that I am, who will set me free from the body of this death? See, we, we want to do the opposite of just saying, well, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter anyways. Sometimes in, it, we, we hear this. I had uh, my Sunday school class. Sometimes they don't like me very much, and I'm okay with that. Because cause sometimes I'll hear this statement. I love that Jonathan nodded in approval. Like, yeah, that's right. I don't like you very much. Um, and, and sometimes I hear people in my Sunday school class things. Well, they'll say something like, well, we're all, we're, we're all, nobody's perfect. That's what they say. Nobody's perfect. We'll be talking about sin and then someone will, someone will go, well, nobody's perfect. That's true. Is that a true statement? Everybody agree with that? That's a true statement. But sometimes the way we say that makes it sound as though I'm comfortable in my sin. See, nobody's perfect, and so I'm just going to keep being who I am. Because since nobody else is perfect, that I'm going to go on being imperfect and just be okay with it. But Paul paints a very different picture for us of that. When he says, oh, wretched man that I am, who will set me free from this? So we don't want to get comfortable in our sin. But we also don't want to think that our sin has taken us beyond redemption. So if one extreme is like, well, I'm just, my sin is fine. My sin is just like everybody else's sin. I don't need to worry about sin. I can just do whatever I want. That's a problem. But it's also a problem if we get to the point that say, I am such a bad sinner and I am such a horrible person that, that there's no hope for me and I just, and I might as well just give up. In fact, we can go to Jeremiah and even see this said. In Jeremiah 18, 12, we read this. It says, and they will say, talking about Judah, he says, they will say, it's hopeless. For we are going to follow our own plan, and each of us will act according to the stubbornness of his evil heart. See, Jeremiah had been proclaiming to them that they needed to repent and they needed to make a change and they needed to to surrender themselves to the Lord. And their response was, why bother? It's hopeless. There's no way we can do what God's called us to be. There's no way we can have that kind of transformation or that turnaround so we know what we're going to do. We're going to just keep doing what we've always done. Two very different perspectives, by the way. And yet both of them ultimately lead to the same decision, and that is no change. No turning, no change. I'm just going to keep doing what I'm doing in one sense because I've given up, in one, one way because I've given up hope, and another way because I've grown comfortable. But as we look at this passage, as we look at, at chapter 30, 
And we see that, that, that God knows of their sin and how they are going to, to come so far away, go so far away from him that, that they will be banished from the land, that they will be put out. Something that we see happen in Jeremiah and we know happens in the Old Testament. But in the midst of all that, he says, and you return to the Lord and obey him with all your heart and soul, according to all that I command you today, both you and your sons. I want us to really focus in on verse 2 today because I think that is the key to everything else. Israel's sin would take them to a place that they would not want to go. It would cost them the promised land and the inheritance, the blessings that God had given them, something that we see happening in Jeremiah in our Sunday school class. Again, if you do not have a Sunday school class, I strongly urge you to come at 945. It is worth your time. When sin really takes hold of our lives, even today, when we find ourselves caught in sin and wrapped up in it to the point that we, we, may, we may not even recognize how much control it has, and then we come to that point, we have a choice to make. And when we find ourselves stuck in sin and we find ourselves caught up in our sinful lives, we have a choice to make. And, and really, there's, there's a couple things we can do at that point. The first thing we can do is we can blame others. Even God. Well, I wouldn't be this way if you weren't this way. Or I should have never been here, but God didn't do this when I wanted him to. We blame others. And we keep going the way we've gone. Another thing we can do is we can lie to ourselves and pretend that everything's okay. We can say, I'm not that bad. I think I'm doing pretty good. As long as no one can see my sin, then I must be doing okay. We pretend that where we are in our life is where we want to be. Sometimes we try to fix it ourselves and say, well, I, I got it. I'll just try a little harder. Work a little bit more. Try to get on, time, on top of things. Set up a regimen and a schedule. And if I work hard enough and I do enough, then it'll fix itself. Or, lastly, we'll turn to the Lord. Let me tell you something. Only one of these things will actually change your life. If you find yourself entangled in sin, and you're having a hard time breaking free of it, and you know it's there, You have lots of decisions in front of you. But all of them will keep you exactly the way you are. Except turning to the Lord. In the midst of all of this, in in, in verse 2 and and going on, God calls Israel to come to their senses, to repent. And he really gives them a a kind of a two-step process. And I think this is a, a good way to approach what God means by repentance and what happens for restoration. And that is... First, we must return to the Lord. He says in verse 2, he says, and you return to the Lord your God. Now, this inherently means that if we are returning to the Lord, that that means we are turning away from sin and the sin that, that, that has already kind of taken control of us. And this is far more important than we often realize. 
We need to go to God, admit that we have sinned according to his word, and then we need to set out to stop doing it. I know that that is harder than it is for me to just say, you know, it's harder to do than it is to say. It is so easy for me to say, hey, you who are stuck in this sin, stop it. That's easy to say, but it's hard to do, amen? It is hard for us to, to stop doing what we've been called to do and, or what we've been stuck doing for so long. And often we find ourselves waging war against that very sinful nature. And we're not going to be perfect and we're going to win battles and we're going to lose battles. But ultimately, we are handing that over to God saying, God, have your way. This is what I am doing. I am holding that up to you. This is sin. This is wrong. I want to be done with it. And we make a decision to go a different way. Trusting that God, through the power of the Holy Spirit, will enable us to overcome such sin. But we see not only does God call us to turn to him or turn away from our sin, but also to obey him. And this is one of the things I really like about Scripture is that, that the Bible doesn't just tell us stop it. You know, I know that we kind of look at the Bible and we see all of these thou shalt nots and these, you know, these things that we're not supposed to do. And I want you to understand something about the Bible. The Bible is not just a list of all the things you're not allowed to do. But every time that God tells us something he doesn't want us to do, he offers this alternative of what he does want us to do and how he does want us to live and how we are supposed to be glorifying God so that we have something to fill that up with. We often kind of use this analogy as, as I tell you, don't think about a purple elephant. What are you going to think about? Probably everybody here is thinking about a purple elephant. But if I say, think about, I don't know, let's pick something. Let's just say a green elephant. Think about a green elephant. You start thinking about a green elephant, guess what you're doing? You're not thinking about a purple elephant. Until I said, don't, you're not thinking about a purple elephant. The same is true with our walk with the Lord. It is not that God is just telling you, don't do this and don't do that and don't do this. He's saying, do other things. There are things I am calling you to do. There are things I'm wanting from you. There are things that, that, that if you do these things, you will thrive and you will live and you will experience my presence and my glory. These are good things that I want you to do. And if you will focus on doing the things I want you to do, you won't care about the things I'm telling you not to do. This is not just God saying, try harder. On the contrary, if we look at our passage... What he is truly calling them to do is to surrender themselves fully to his will. That they will do what he is calling them to do. And in doing so, they will have no more desire for anything that I, the idols or the things of this world have to offer. We have to ask ourselves, are we fully surrendering ourselves to God and to his will? Or are we just trying to do just enough? Do just enough good things, keep from doing just enough bad things that, that we can maybe get through, but ultimately still doing what we want. From Deuteronomy all the way to the Gospels, the call is, say, is the same. Surrender yourself completely to God. Die to self so that you might live for God. Hold nothing back. 
In fact, we can look to the very words of Jesus in Matthew 16, 24, when he says, if anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. See, in verse 2, we see this call and this kind of contingency, like this is what's going to, he goes, listen, you're going to go far from me, and you're, gonna, you're going to experience the curses, and you're going to experience the, the, the judgment that comes with sin, but listen to me, if you will surrender. If you will repent and you will come to me, if you will come back to a place where your heart's desire is to do the will of God and to pursue God, just look what God can do. We have spent this whole time focusing on two verses, but what is the beautiful part of this passage is the next seven. And we go so far and we look at this and we realize all the things that God does to those who have repented and turned to him. Look at the restoration that we were talking about in the beginning. First off, we see from our passage that the Lord will restore what is lost. God tells Israel that he will bring them home. And it doesn't matter how far, and this is an important point, it doesn't matter how far they were scattered, he is going to bring them home into the promised land, into the place that, that he promised his family. And not only is he going to bring them there, but he is going to restore everything that made that place wonderful. God restores that which is lost. It may not always be the same, but it is restoration. I often think about this, and I was thinking about uh, when I was writing this about Job. And Job is such an interesting story because Job, at the beginning of Job, loses everything. He loses his family. He loses his cattle. He loses his home. He loses, he loses his health. He loses everything but his wife, and his wife's trying to get him killed. And he loses all that stuff. And when it's all said and done and, and he stays faithful to God and, and he kind of gets his one little talking to from God, it says, and God restored everything. Now, he didn't bring his family back from the dead, nor did he re uh, revive all the animals that he had lost. But God began to restore his, li his life and began to bring new things in and new opportunities. And, and, and quite literally, God gave him a new life. And I want to encourage you today, you have very well may have suffered loss in your life, maybe because of sin, maybe just because we live in a fallen world. Trust in the Lord. God will, if you trust Him and you walk with Him and you give yourself fully to Him, God will restore. It may not be the exact same thing. It may not be the thing that you lost. Maybe the thing you lost is the very thing that you need to get away from. Maybe you won't experience that full, total restoration until you go to be with the Lord in glory. But rest assured, God restores. Not only do we see that the Lord will restore what is lost, but also the Lord will renew your relationship with Him. And I love this about this passage as we look through this and we look at what he's saying. He begins to talk about how if you come to me 100%, if you give me all your heart and all your soul, he says that he will put a, look at this, verse 6, he says, Moreover, the Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your descendants to love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul so that you may live. God is going to bring about, I want you, this is, this is cool, This is because this is new covenant stuff. You know that? thing we just did 
the Lord's Supper, when Jesus said, this is the new covenant in my blood, well, that new covenant comes with a circumcised heart. And everything that God is talking about here, he's not talking about, I will just bring you back to the relationship you had before, but he's actually telling Israel, after all this is said and done, and after all that you've gone through, when you return to me, you will have an even closer relationship with me, that you will have an even closer intimacy with me than you even had before. And in one sense, he's speaking into the future and he's, he's talking to them and he's preparing them. Listen, there's going to come a day where this is all going to be different and that's going to happen through Jesus Christ and his shed blood. But we also have to remember that God brings us through things so that we will have a closer walk with him. There are, in everybody in this room, there's no exceptions here, everyone in this room has got things in their life that they have not fully surrendered to God that in the day that you fully surrendered them to God, you will have a closer walk with God. That's not a deep statement, but it's something to get excited about. That you can have a closer walk with God than even what you have now. See, God can use you And he will take you wherever you are in your life, no matter how far you may be from him, and he will redeem your whole story. And he will take the things that even now may cause you to be separated from God, and he will use them to bring you into a closer walk, and very well may use them to bring others into a closer walk with him. Finally, we see that the Lord will cause you to grow in ways that you could not imagine. This passage takes, speaks a great deal about prosperity. He talks about what it will be like in this day and how he will make their offspring fruitful and not only their, their, their families, but their, their, their cattle and their produce and that God will do all of these amazing things. And I want you to understand something. Sometimes we get so stuck in where we are that we can't see or we can't envision what God can do. And we look at our situation and the way things are, and there's sometimes, even in a more hopeless way, we think, well, this is as good as it's going to get. And I'm just stuck here. When we look at a passage like this, you know, this is, this is Deuteronomy, this is Israel before they even go into the land, before they even experience everything that there is to experience. And God is already telling them, listen, I have even greater things in store for you than you know of. God can use you in ways that at this point in your life, you can't even imagine. But he can. And he knows. And he has a purpose and a plan for you. And and let me tell you, I'm not saying it's going to be easy, but I can tell you it's going to be good. And don't let your current situations lead you to believe that God cannot do something miraculous in your life and through your life to the benefit of others. He will show himself to you He will lead you to grow and enlist you into his ministry and into his calling so that you will see fruit that you could not imagine. And it all starts 
if we turn him to the Lord. My challenge to you today, and I don't know where you are in this room, but you may, there may very well be people in this room who feel because of life circumstance or the sin that they know that that they're convicted of, like God is 10,000 miles away. And you may feel that way because of sin that you know is in your life and, and because you've been going your own way and you've been doing your own thing. And you may be here today and you may think, well, I'm here because of so-and-so or I'm here because of so-and-so, but God, I'm a lost cause when it comes to God. I've done too much. I have too much history. I can't do this. I can't do that. And, and so therefore, I, I'm just, I'm not useful to God. He has no interest in me. Yes, he does. And he told Israel, it doesn't matter how far you've been scattered. I will bring you back. And I want to challenge you today. Let today be that first step back towards God. Let today be the day that you repent, placing your hope in Jesus Christ, fully surrendering yourself to the Lord. Maybe that's for the first time and you need to give your life to Jesus. Maybe you just maybe you did that as a younger person and just today's the day that you need to really take that on and take that seriously and say, I said one day when I was younger or even just a little while ago that I was a follower of Jesus, but I haven't been living like a follower of Jesus and I'm going to start living like a follower of Jesus now. And let God work. And let yourself be open to all that God's calling you to do. You are not too far from God's grace and God's goodness. God is not limited in what he can do with you and through you. My challenge to all of us in this room today is to give ourselves wholly unto God. That we will surrender ourselves completely to him. That we will return to the Lord, obey him with all of our heart, And with all of our soul. And then just let God do what he wants with us. This is the promise we have in scripture. This is the hope we have no matter how far we've gone away. And in this we can find rest. And I hope. A desire to draw closer to him. Let us pray. Our gracious God and King, Lord, we do thank you so much for your word. God, we stand in awe of just your grace and your goodness in the midst of all of this. Lord, I pray that today's passage is one that gives us hope. And Lord, that we're reminded in the midst of it that no matter how far we may have wandered, Lord, that you are still calling us back to you. That you have not given up on us, that you have not given up on our mission and on our purpose. But God, that you are are forever calling us into a closer walk with you. Lord, for some in this room, I know that means surrendering themselves to you, giving their life to you, making Jesus Christ their Lord and Savior for the first time for the, for the be, right now. God, for others, I know that, that there are always, and I was this way, where I had wandered away from God, I had gotten so far from you that I could not see how you could use someone like me. But God, I pray that they would trust you. And Lord, that they would put themselves before you and say, God, here I am, have your way. And God, that they would just trust you and see what you can do. Lord, I pray that each and every one of us will believe these promises. 
and that, God, that you would do something amazing. Lord, we thank you for this hope that you give us in scriptures. And, God, I pray that we would walk in this hope. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.